This podcast is brought to you by Ideate and Execute. Do you want to drive innovation in your organization, futurize your enterprise, ideate massively valuable new products, or execute them to market? Then contact us today at ideateandexecute.com and get started. Why listen to the past when you can listen to the future? Welcome to the Think Future Podcast, broadcasting from deep in the heart of Silicon Valley, California. We focus on innovation, startups and the future, not necessarily those and not necessarily in that order. Here's your host. So why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and your organization and uh, what you're passionate about? Sure, I'll start with my passion first because that's who I stand for. Mm-hmm. Uh, my name is Manpreet Randhava and uh, I am I have a doctorate in medical science. Um, I'm a health enthusiast, uh, beauty specialist, and uh, my expertise and my passion lies in uh, bringing active ingredients which are vetted with science and clinically driven outcomes to the hand of consumer to give them a happy and youthful life. Nice, nice. So how, how, do you, how do you how do you how do you instantiate that? So do you have a is this your own company or do you work with other companies? How, how do you do that? Yes. So right now I am a director of innovation and research at Cytheon. Mm-hmm. This is a company which is located in New Jersey, mm-hmm. and uh, it is a supplier company. So we do develop a lot of active ingredients. I've been here for two years. Uh, before then, I was at Johnson & Johnson. So I spent, uh, I think, 10 years in Johnson & Johnson. And uh, being my time at Johnson & Johnson, um, I was working with bringing the finished products in the hand of the consumer. So working more with the innovation. Right, right. Yeah. So so how do you find out what works? Like, how do you? what kind of process do you use to figure out what... Because you're, you're talking about, you know, being having your customers happy and healthy. How do you find out what makes them happy and healthy? I wouldn't say there is one way of figuring out that. I think there it is more of a team effort. It is more of looking into what um, what are the different uh, uh, trends which are going on. So there's a mm-hmm. lot of information that is needed. So it is not something which has to be, um, for example, which is scientifically very robust. And you think, okay, this is going to be the next breakthrough it might not happen because sometimes the consumers, they are not ready to accept that. And it takes time for them to be like, accept that. And it it might make sense at that time, but sometimes the consumers, they don't understand. And even if you are bringing that innovation in front of people, it won't be accepted. So it will fail. So there, there are so many different elements that play a role in order to make sure what makes sense at that particular time. So do you, so do you, how do you find out what they're looking for? I mean, do you do design thinking or what, what's your best way of polling what the consumers are looking for? We usually look at the consumer segmentations because it's not like one solution is going to fit everybody's um, right. problem, right? So it depends on like, okay, first of all, it, is, it has to be very specific on what mm-hmm. is that problem that you are trying to solve. For example, a person who is like in their 30s might have a different issues than what a person is in 40s and then say 50 and 60s. So you really have to like 
think deeply about them. So there's a lot of market research that goes behind it to think mm-hmm. about, okay, how and what is changing? What is currently trending? But it, beyond that, you really have to put yourself in that consumer's um, shoes and think of like, what are the current issues they are going with? And uh, there are um, uh, different, uh, I would say, uh, departments that work on that to understand what are the issues and then thinking from their perspective, it is really being thinking about them at that time uh, to have that, uh, like where they're being feeling vulnerable and what is the solution that we can provide them in order to meet their needs. So you do market. So do you do your own market research, or do you do you contract with companies to do the market research for you? Uh, depends on like uh, with Johnson and Johnson. Yes, there was like obviously it's a big company, so there were different departments who were taking control of that. Um, whereas in the smaller companies, some they have they they would always outsource it if they cannot handle that kind of department. So yeah, so it is. It depends on like where you are and what resources that you have, how and what and how to tackle with those resources. So it sounds like it sounds like what you're saying is that we you have to actually uncover the problem with the customers first through market research before you actually develop product. But I'm sure I'm assuming it works the other way around too. Like somebody within the yeah. organization comes up with something. I, I, yeah, yeah. I, I would I would take my word back if you have understood this from uh, the whole conversation. Yes, it comes from the marketing. I mean, they are pretty much very much involved in this. But again, the science has to progress, right? So there are, um, uh, if you take a step back, and that's what the innovations are for. So it is not based on like what consumers they are asking for. It yeah. is, uh, yes, we like to give them a solution, but the innovation doesn't go that way. Innovation is something that you are creating something which is going to be of uh, value to the other people. The thing is that, is the timing right or not? Yes, mm-hmm. the, con- the innovation, it keeps on going and uh, we keep on testing those things with the consumer. But at the same time, we got, get a lot of data from the consumer also, like how they are, uh, what kind of issues they are. Um, managing and how we can help them. So it goes like in so many different direction and then it meets somewhere in the center to bring the best possible solution that we can provide them. Right. Well, it's kind of like what they're saying with the, with uh, the iPhone and Steve Jobs, like the iPhone didn't do any consumer research. They just sort of developed yes. it and they put it out there and and everybody loved it, but it didn't necessarily happen that way. But do you, do you find that your success, your products are more successful when you, when it's more research driven or when it's more internally driven? I think with Steve Jobs, he created the whole market. He was a genius. Yeah. <laughs> <I don't... laughs> well, aren't you the next Steve Jobs in uh, Health and Beauty or whatever he, space yeah, you're in? Yeah, he, he just, I think that was a breakthrough innovation. I mean, he just uh, created the whole market. He didn't do anything, but he was a great marketer too. We mm-hmm. should look mm-hmm. into that also. He was oh, very yeah. good at marketing it. Uh, for uh, for uh, for mostly for the healthcare products, I think we are at a stage that we look into the we look into both ways for the innovation, but we do a lot of like customer or the consumer segmentation testing beforehand in order to make sure um, that the product is providing the efficacy. Yes, so we do look at that. We even do the post market research in order to make sure yes, the, is it meeting the requirements? It usually I mean ask for so which is a uh, which is kind of like not what Steve Jobs used to do, but a very right. different way of doing things. Yeah. Well, so do you ever have a product that tests really, really well? And then when you launch it, it just totally dives. Has that ever happened to you before? 
Yes, I have seen a couple of things where uh, I've seen like some of the products which we see that uh, I won't go into details in these things, but uh, there are some things that where we see, okay, this thing is um, you know, when we are bringing some technology to the market and obviously um, it it is meeting the current need of the consumer and it will, yes, it will uh, just blow it out. Mm-hmm. And uh, with the, some of the other technologies, for example, I can give you an example of the hyaluronic acid. The hyaluronic acid now, it is being injected in the skin and it is known for uh, increasing the volume in the skin. Mm-hmm. It, I mean, the technology is pretty new. It's 10 years old. Uh, if you look at from a healthcare perspective, not from a technology perspective. So 10, 10 years is old, is not Yeah, old. you will call it, but we still call it because <laughs> the thing is with these healthcare technology, the healthcare, uh, especially the ingredient or the technologies, we don't know what the outcome, outcome would be. Like one or two years in order to study that, the safety, the efficacy. So all those data, they are very much needed. You can take an example of vaccine also. The vaccines, mm. I mean, it take only what, a year to bring a vaccine? But we don't know there's so many variables that is going to play a role in order to understand like what is the effect of those vaccines. In the same way, if I take you the example that I was giving you before for the hyaluronic acid, yes. So that's why we call it relatively new because we don't know yet all the implications that can come out of that. So it's injected in the skin, but think about the, the mechanism that are going out in the skin and how many different kinds of skins that we have, how many different kinds of people, how many different diseases the people they have. So we don't know like under each and every circumstance, what the effect is going to be. Yeah. Well, there's never, there's never any way to know you have, I mean, everything's like an experiment at all times. The, The question is you have to decide when can I cut over into making this a commercial product? Like yes. the, it has to pass some certain gates to get to the yes. point where, you know, X amount of the population is not going to be adversely affected by it. So then you let it go through. Otherwise, yes. you know, there's always that small percentage of people that, you know, it will affect negatively. So, and, and I mean, where do you, how do you make that decision? I mean, is there like a, a regulation that makes that decision or do you do, do you just as a company make that decision? Oh, so we, we, we trialed it, you know, and we had this minimum amount of, of issues with it. So let's go ahead and launch it. Um, that's a very good question. Actually, yes, there is uh, uh, the first thing that comes to mind is the safety. Mm-hmm. Safety is very important, even before the efficacy. If it is not safe and people cannot use it, it will not, nobody will say yes to that. Yeah. So there's always safety trials that goes first. And after that, that is followed by um, a mix of safety and efficacy. And then the mm-hmm. efficacy piece comes in and that decides, for example, in the skincare products, I mean, if we uh, we look into the clinical trials and uh, if we see um, um, mostly it is, uh, the, if they are the placebo control trials, for example, then they are more meaningful. They meant mm-hmm. to be more robust. And if they have um, statistical significant results on the parameters that are of interest to a particular segmentation of the customer, if you find that, then yes, so then it's ready to be rolled over. So there are some criteria that we actually, it's not the, uh, I wouldn't say that everything comes from the hierarchy in this case, or like there will be like people who will say yes and no, okay, this technology will go, but it will be more based on uh, the clinical efficacy because the product, if the person is buying a product and it can, and person can buy a product based on the marketing, right? Whatever the spiel they make, but they, these people won't come back to buy the product again. So obviously you have to make sure 
like this product is efficacious wherever it is going. So right. well, how, do you, well, how do you prove that? I mean, a lot of times it's like you, you try something and you could try it forever and it doesn't really make a difference. I mean, how can, how can you tell if these things make, make a difference? Do you have to do it in the lab or? No, so the, everything, I mean, yes, in the beginning. So when we are trying to validate a technology, it usually happens within the lab. And then depending on the resources, the, what I explained before, it could be done internally or it could be outsourced externally also. And those are the, uh, the very first initial part where you actually validate the mechanism of action. Like how do these things work? Once it is being injected, how do these things are working inside your body? Um, after that, um, most of the trials, which are, um, if it is, I will talk more about the dermatology related trials and those trials, they are done in uh, outside. This could be done in um, collaboration with the universities. This could be done in collaboration with the dermatologist in their mm -hmm. own practice, or this could be done in collaboration with the, the, the CROs. Right. So those people, those dermatologists or the experts in that group, they will do it independently. And these studies, they're called uh, double blind. So that means that nobody knew who is using what. Dermatologist mm -hmm. doesn't know. We don't know. And these, some of these key things, they are exposed only when the study ends and when we have the results in hand. So in that way, what we, whatever we see, it is actually the real results after the application of those products. Make so, sense? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So this is a huge space, right? The health and beauty space. It's a massively huge space. And I'm, I, there's still a lot of money in it. So if, if somebody's interested in getting into this space, like what areas would you say are hot and expanding? I mean, right now, the area that, that are expanding in, um, they're in the beauty space I've seen, but there is so much saturation also at the same time with so many mm -hmm. indie brands which are coming into the space. Mm -hmm. And I've also seen in the nutritional space as well, because these spaces, they are not uh, regulated strictly by FDA, yeah. right? Yeah. So they are not as compared to the pharmaceutical drugs, which are very, very tightly uh, regulated by FDA. And yeah. it has the, this space has a lot of flexibility also. And the thing that I love about the space is the flexibility and the way that you would like to showcase yourself. But mm -hmm. again, the thing is that you really have to concentrate on the efficacy part, safety and efficacy. They both are a must if you really want your brand to be successful. Now, I have right. seen some brands which are just success successful based on the marketing. Yeah. And um, they, I've seen them building up very soon. And then I've seen them dying them very soon also. Yeah. Well, it's like sometimes you, see, you just see these brands coming out of the blue. It's just an influencer, you know, decides to create yeah. a brand. And who knows where stuff comes from and people try it. And sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't work. Sometimes it's just the, just the allure of using this particular thing. And there really is no, but it, it, like you're saying, like certain products, they don't really need to go through any kind of regulation. I could just create a cream tomorrow and yeah. put it on the market. And as long as it doesn't hurt anybody, then it'll continue to be sold. Right. And people will still buy it. I, I, I've been in mentor with so many uh, and especially the students and they have their MBA or they're doing their MBA and they're very interested in doing the skincare lines. Yeah. So, yeah. So I've seen like they're so um, they, they really want to get into the space because it's very easy. And yeah. it's very well, it seems easy. Space. It seems easy from the outside. It's like, oh, yeah, yeah. Why do we create? And it, plus it's a consumable. So yeah. it's like in like if you're if your customers love the product, then they're just going to continue buying it forever. So it's like an unending income stream, but there's so many variables 
in creating something that actually works. And like you said, yes. the, the, the market's really crowded. I mean, how is there any way to stand out nowadays? I mean, is there any is there anything in particular that goes, oh, you know, this is going to make me stand out against the competition? There's always. You just have to be creative <laughs> enough because that's what I told you. This is very flexible space and you can really wear your creative glasses and you can think of like, okay, what are the different ways to stand out? You, we have not answered each and every question yet. There's so many questions. There's so many people. They have, they uh, with the iPhone, you can think of like, okay, how many different things have, I mean, opened up. Mm-hmm. Now people uh, with the social media, I mean, there are so many things that have opened up. You just have to be creative. Think about, okay, what is it that I can stand for? What is my, especially I think when people are passionate about something, they really want to bring that passion through whatever the product they want to bring it to the market. So I have seen a couple of examples and uh, I always think that these people done have done an amazing job. I've recently also have seen some talks where people are like really passionate about things and they they want to bring it from a very different level. They want to be a part of the community. So not just like bringing revenue, but they think very broadly to like how to be uh, a part of the community, how to help the community. So from that perspective. So I think with the new generations that are coming up, new ideas are also coming up. So I think mm-hmm. there is no end to this game. So it is going right. to be um, quite interesting. Well, lately, I mean, I think you mentioned in your notes, CBD is a huge thing. Now, tell me, tell me real, truly, I mean, is it just a marketing thing or does it really help? So CBD is one of my favorite topics. And I was <laughs> it seems like every product has CBD in it. It's like, I think they had CBD cigarettes the other day. I don't know. I'm kidding. There's like, yeah. there's all, every product under the sun seems to have CBD in it. And it, it's like, I don't understand how it's almost like, you know, the modern day, oh, this will solve everything, every problem for you. I mean, what are your thoughts there? Yeah, I think it, it is, um, it's been uh, marketed as a wonder drug that can heal everything from cancer all the way to whatever happens on your skin. So exactly. Anything. It's a very, very fascinating. But I recently gave a seminar. Um, it was invited to seminar by Rutgers. And uh, I kind of like went throughout like how the genesis actually happens with CBD. And it is very interesting. I'll just give you like five minutes on that. Mm-hmm. So CBD um, it got its attention in 2013 with Charlotte Fizi. That was the name of the girl who had um, Dervais syndrome. So she had the seizures, uh, I think 30 seizures uh, per day. So she, a poor girl, was going through that. Mm. And uh, parents tried like every single remedy that they could have come, I mean, they come across. And finally, they came across the CBD oil and they tried that and it worked. Hmm. amazingly for that uh, girl and uh, um, that story was um, it was aired on CNN at that time in 2013 and that's how the people who were actually going through a similar kind of disease or uh, the epilepsy diseases they kind of like caught on to that uh, CNN show and uh, that's how the whole CBD thing started and then the, in the regulations, that's when the government got involved. That's why the 2014 law bill that came onto the hemp plan, that's why it happened. And that's when the research, research, well, it started quite back. I mean, in 1800, somewhere in 1800s, that's when all the research was going on behind it. But it got even more fire in this. And then the, there were more research that is happening uh, from uh, 2013 to 2014. Until now, we can see a lot of publications out there. 
However, the caveat is that, okay, we know it works on the epilepsy or in the Dervais syndrome, and we have one FDA recommended uh, drug, which is in the market, which is by the GW Pharmaceutical, and it works on these uh, for two diseases. One is Dervais syndrome, and the other one, I can't pronounce the name. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> it works for them. And we know yeah. like what dosage, what concentration, what is the form. So that is very much needed when you really want to treat a symptom like that. However, it got so popular that people started uh, taking it uh, without knowing what is the concentration, what exactly is in the extract. Now they're coming from the hemp plant. We don't know what is in it. We don't know how much CBD is in it. So we don't know the concentration. We don't know the dosage. We don't know how it is going to work for the other symptoms because those were basically primarily for um, the Dervais syndrome or some of the epilepsy. But I mean, there's a lot of research which is going on on the neurological field. I'm not saying that it doesn't work, but we don't know what amount works. Even if you put it on your skin, I don't know what amount do you have to, or what concentration you need to have in order to take care of probably the redness on the skin or the, um, you have any skin barrier issues, eczema or psoriasis. People have been using it for everything. Now, the caveat is that some part, if you're using some concentration, it might be pro-inflammatory. So that means that Mm. the inflammation can happen. And if you use this after a certain concentration, it can be an anti-inflammatory too. So there are both sides of the coins. So how would you decide like what to use and then and when to use and when not to use? Yeah, it sounds like there's there's no there's no standard. Yeah, it's it's just become it's it's almost become a placebo, right? It's like it's it's almost like if you slap CBD, those three initials on something, suddenly it'll become like a more popular product. Yes. And I mean, right now, I even go outside the pharmacies or even these vitamin shops, they all say we have the CBD oil. But yeah. I just don't know what is in it. <laughs> I really need to see because the, the, that's the, the beauty of being a scientist that you really are curious about these things and you really want to know what's in it and then where the yeah. efficacy is coming from. Yeah. So it sounds like you're saying, what you're saying is that for that sp- those specific use cases, yes, there's efficacy. But outside of that, there's really none, n- nothing proven. There is no science created yet. I, right. I would not be able to endorse a statement that, okay, these creams which are containing the CBD, it will work because I don't have the data for that. Right. But hyaluronic mm-hmm. acid does work even in topical applications. So, okay. So then that, that story is very interesting also. So when we started working on the hyaluronic acid, it is um, because it has a name acid at the mm-hmm. end. And if you look at, if you now go back 10 years ago, people were not familiar with the hyaluronic acid, like what exactly it is. Yeah. People were scared of putting an acid on the skin without knowing that it is a sugar molecule. But now yeah. they know it is hyaluronic acid. It is safe for skin. Now they are open to use it for. Yeah. Okay. Regarding your question on uh, like, uh, does it provide any efficacy or not? Um, yes, it does provide efficacy uh, and it provides more efficacy. It is more efficacious when the dermatologist actually inject it in the skin. Mm. Mm. So it, if it is injected in the skin, it will provide, give you the volume and uh, that youthful appearance. However, when we are applying it topically, it helps to retain the water in the skin because it's a hygroscopic molecule. Mm. So it helps to bind the water and uh, make the skin more moisturized. But based on its molecular weight, it cannot penetrate the skin. So that, um, that is one of the other, um, I would say, need gap that we have with hyaluronic acid that it cannot penetrate the skin. There are some hyaluronic acid that has been uh, created and that helps with the penetration or the penetration profile. Um, and I can see some of the clinical studies 
they they show good results with that again at the end if you ask me i'm a technical person and i will believe in the clinical studies so that's what mm-hmm. i'm passionate about if i if things really work for me if it is a chemistry of the thing yes i really need to look at that what is it then i need to see the biological thing like wh- how does it work in the skin what impact does it have and finally the clinical study yeah like sometimes what i think sometimes i think a lot of this topical stuff doesn't really work at all i mean it's all just you know people put it on thinking it might it might make them feel better or less wrinkly or or whatever or reduce pain but none of it actually works because it is topical i mean because i mean how much of it can really penetrate the skin yeah that's a very good question yes these things they are topical and then that's why having uh, an a background in like understanding like how and what does penetrate into the skin and what impact does it have it it makes a lot of sense now our skin it has a pores mm. if you look at our skin it has a texture and the texture is because of the pores which are present in the skin and our skin is uh, it is a fat layer so it has a tendency to uh, to help in the penetration of these formulations mm-hmm. so these formulation can uh, um, get penetrate they can penetrate in the skin and they can provide the clinical efficacy so that's why in the clinic when we look at uh, especially i can give you an example well known example of retinol which is mm-hmm. known as a golden standard mm-hmm. uh, the other example i can give you of the retinoids which are in the um in in the prescription drug but they are known for the inter- anti-aging um mm. properties i can give you an example of um, uh, glycerin which is a mm-hmm. hygroscopic molecule it helps with the moisturizing the skin with different oils that we have for example we have the uh, linoleate oils that helps with building the skin barrier so there are a lot of things and if you and now we are talking here more about the healthy skin and if you talk about the unhealthy skin like where the um, uh, the skin barrier is impaired right and then you it's like eczema or psoriasis yes we do have these things that can actually penetrate the skin and it helps build the skin so so there are the, but so which of these things are proven to work so you're saying retinol is proven to work hyaluronic acid is proven to work but only injectable or so some of these things a lot of this stuff, it just seems like, you know, when you go look at the, look at the counter, it's like a million different combinations and a, different, a million different formulations. And 90% of it, I think, is, is sort of like, doesn't really do anything. <laughs> but it's like certain, certain chemicals do work. Yes, there are certain chemicals which are which do work, and I think the best way to look at, if you're really interested in looking into these ingredients that work, look into the literature. Don't mm. look into... I hate to say that but yes we do have the skin influencers that talk more from uh, um a customer's perspective and put their yeah. ideas on the table but uh, uh, I think I got that uh, recently not recently but four or five years ago when I yes being technical I go into like very much into the depth but then I got into uh, how can I translate the science from a consumer perspective? So you really have to dig deep if you really want to get an answer. Okay, this is how these things are working. If there are clinical studies which are available and they're placebo controlled, that's when you get an answer for, hey, these things, they do work. They can penetrate the skin and they are providing the clinical efficacy. Yes, there are a number of products which are out there. If you go to like Walmart or any other retail sh- um, shop like Sephora or Target, yes, they are just flooded, flooded with the cosmetic yeah. products. 
And uh, I think it what it comes down to is like how the claims are being formatted, right? And what do people believe in? Now, what do you think? If you have a wrinkle and it takes you like 40 years to get the wrinkle, do you think a cream can... Um, erase it like in a month well that's what that's what the customers want right they want, yeah. they want to be able to erase it like that how can that happen <laughs> i just don't know i i, I can't tell you they want they want it to that. act like a time machine let me spread some time machine on my face <laughs> yeah i think it is more of like like embrace yourself embrace yourself like what your skin has gone through and and try to enhance the features if you have something find the best way possible to enhance it I'm, I was writing on something and uh, the question was, does it make sense for 30 years old to use retinol? Probably not. Mm-hmm. We have in, we are built with such a good machinery that our body has a tendency to recuperate all the losses that we go through every day. We have the tendency, let, uh, let our skin take control of it. Why do we need to overwhelm it with so many ingredients out there? There is no yeah. need. Yeah. Yeah. No, you're right. I mean, I think, I think it's the same thing, especially we, it's like we have to take care of our innate immune systems, innate mm-hmm. systems that can repair themselves because the human body is, is an amazing thing, right? It can do all sorts of things that we just, if we just let it do its thing and let it help. I mean, in fact, one of those things that like so many people forget about is rest, yes. right? I mean, exactly. people are just like drive, 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 drive. I'm not feeling well. Oh, I'm going to continue working. It's like, well, rest and your body will yes. recuperate itself. But they, you know, that's, it seems so simple uh, and it it's is, what it's we've been doing since the dawn of time. Like, every, everybody adapts. Who is not, who, who is not like, who cannot adapt? I mean, since day one, since you were born, you are adapting to this uh, world, to the culture, to, to yeah. your like um, environment. We are doing that. I mean, yeah. we are adapting since day one. And why can't we understand that part that yes, our body is built in such way so we can adapt to the yeah. environment and we should let it do it. We should not work too much with it because we do need to work with it when uh, when we see a decline in the, mm-hmm. um, uh, it's called the adaptive homeostasis. Like there is a way our skin is built so it can, it has a tendency to, to work in optimal condition and that is called the adaptive homeostasis. So we are very well built with that. However, when we are in our 40s, it tends to decline and that's when we, we need to interject. Now it's a time to interjection to care about these things and to how to actually make it more um, relevant to the adaptive homeostasis part. But before 40, I think it's more about uh, protection. It's more Mm. about the prevention. And for prevention strategies are very different as compared to how you are going to take care or uh, cure strategies. So they are very two different things and keep it different. Don't overwhelm your skin. That's what my two cents would be when it comes to skincare. (laughs) So it's almost like you, like you said, there'd be protection prior to 40 and then from 40 onwards, it would be, it would be enhancement or whatever. And then, and then, yeah. so if I were to, if someone were to want to start something like that today, what would they, what, how would they, how would they go about it? Like, what would be interesting for them, the new spaces that be, that aren't so open yet? I, I, I told you I am a health enthusiast. So that includes everything that includes my body weight, that includes uh, the skincare, that includes my lifestyle, that includes my nutrition. So it has everything in it. So for me, it is, uh, uh, it is more about what my lifestyle is, how stressful. So it includes the stress also, like what kind of sleep I'm getting, what am I eating? Um, how am I taking care of my skin? And when it comes to skin before 30, I think it was 
more about the prevention strategies. Like what is that our skin made up of the antioxidant and the oxidative stress? We like to keep it low. So there are prevention strategies that are more related to that. And after we do see, okay, there is a decline in the, um, uh, in the total energy. And we do see, okay, how fast or the steep decline is, especially in women who go through the postmenopausal or the menopausal stages. I mean, they go through a lot. It's more about having a new life again. So the strategies changes there, the way they exercise, the way they eat, the lifestyle changes and uh, the skincare, whatever the needs are, everything changes. So it has to be optimized throughout your journey of life. So there is not one solution to all uh, to, to, uh, to your journey in life. Yeah. Well, you said so one thing there that, that you said what? one thing there, I think that's really important is it's, it's holistic. It's not yes. just, it's not just, I'm going to eat McDonald's and then I'm going to slap some cream on and I'm going to look great. Right. It's going to be like your diet, your exercise, your lifestyle, your rest, all of these things, you know, come to come into play when yes. it comes to the way, you know, how healthy you are and how you look. Right. I mean, it's not just, it's not just, you know, I'm going to put something on topically and it's going to make me look better. I mean, my, my mom used to do this. Uh, she was like, Oh, you know, my knee hurts. My knee hurts. Look, give me some cream for it. Give me some cream for it. It's like the cream's not going to do anything, yeah. <laughs> you know? And I think it's just, it's just, it's a placebo effect. Like no matter what you actually, Oh, here's some powerful cream, put it on. It's like, Oh, you bought me this weird cream from, from Norway and it worked really well. And I'm like, did it really work? Or did you just think it worked? Right. So, I mean, yes. you're right. I mean, it's the whole, it's a whole body, whole holistic thing that has to be done. You have to deal with everything. It's so true. I can't agree on this on you with this on more. Um, it is more about the holistic uh, way yeah. of thinking about life. It is because right now, if we look at it, I mean, there's so much research that has been done on the microbiome and the microbiome, which is present in your, uh, in your, the gut microbiome, it tends to yeah. speak to your brain. Mm-hmm. So it is, it is like, so everything is so intricate and so woman. So you really have to think about it holistically. You cannot separate out the parts. Hey, this part is separate. So I'll take care of this. And this part is separate. I can take care of this way. No, yeah. It, yeah. everything has to be, has to go together. Yeah. That whole microbiome thing, I think I thought was really interesting. I think what, I forget which book I was reading, but it was something about how it's basically, that's the thing that runs your body, not you. It's if you keep your exactly. gut microbiome happy, then your whole body is healthy. And it's like, oh, well, so we're actually, it's almost like we're a parasite on it as opposed to the way around. <laughs> That's a good analogy. I like that one. No, this is so true because whatever you eat, I mean, these poor organisms uh, which are present in our body, they have to digest it and they have to make sure it makes something uh, meaningful out of those yeah. things, the nutrients yeah. that our body needs. And that's what our body needs. And it, it gives it to the brain and everything. And that's what makes us working. It has to be very diverse though. So yeah. the more diverse it is, the better it is. Yeah. It's amazing how complicated we are. I mean, we think yeah. we're simple, but we're very complicated. We're just systems of systems of systems. And they all, it's surprising. It all works together at all. So this is what I love. This is what I love about our being human. I mean, we are so intricate. There's so many things going on and it's not easy to put everything together. It is, it's going to take like a, I think a universe to put everything together the way that a single cell is working. And we are made up of like trillions of cells. Yeah. And think about yeah. the, these cells, they are performing their natural routine stuff at the normal time. So yeah, it's amazing. It's very it's fascinating. Amazing. Okay, so it's time to think like a futurist. It's the year 2031, 10 years from now. What's the what's the world what's your world going to be like? 
So in, um, I think the world has changed a lot and it's for a good, but I think there is still that, uh, I think a world which is, um, which is more of the community based. Um, I, I'm sorry, I didn't tell you that I am, um, I work a lot in the community also. Mm-hmm. So I think that uh, it's uh, it's time for me also to give back to the community. And I do think in 10 years from now, the we as a human beings, we are trying to find the solutions um, and bring everybody to the same level. I think that, yes, I came from India, which is, uh, which is called a developing country. And uh, I came to US and the culture is very different over here. And it is a developed country. But uh, I mean, we really have to bring all the human race at the same level. So -hmm. there's a lot that needs to be done in the developing countries. And I think if there is my 10 years uh, advance, I mean, I do think about the technology. Yes, the technology will be changing. And I do see an impact of the technology uh, at different levels and in different sectors also. Um, but I think overall, I would say that uh, in those 10 years, I would really like to see how we can bring the developing countries to, to not to the same level, but help them out to bring where they are to manage um, the issues that are going um, after like um, the water issues, the sewage issues. I mean, we take it for granted over here, and but we don't, we, we have seen like what they have gone through. So I really want to see that to bridge that gap. Mm-hmm. So I want to ask you. You see, we were talking holistic about hol- earlier holistic, sorry, but holistic solutions. Uh, what do you think of the these new fangled meal replacement things that are happening that are coming out, like they're Huel and and Soylent and all these things that are supposed to provide all of your nutrients in one shake or something like that? Do you, is that is that actually good for you? Um, I think it is more based on your body composition. I, I mean, what is meant by giving the nutrients, but in what manner, right? So we have a lot of literature or um, the scientific discoveries which are going on in the nutrigenomics and in order to understand what your body composition is. Not even that, but it's also the metabolomics where we are trying to understand if you have the microbiome, like what kind of metabolites you are getting. And looking at that, maybe this could be one of a personalized way of looking into the uh, nutritional piece, like what, exact, uh, what exactly your nutri- nutrition should be and what are the key ingredients that, uh, that you need. For example, some of these people um, which are obese, they have some deficiencies which are more at the genetic phase. So mm-hmm. that cannot be resolved. However, there are nutrients that can help manage some of those issues. So um, in, in that scenario, I think, yes, we are moving into that direction, but I do see there, there is a lot of science that needs to be generated in order to make sure, okay, what is a personalized um, going to be for every person? Because this is now something that you're eating. You're not just putting it on your skin. Right. So it's going to work with your digestive system. Well, here's a, so, so here's a question for you. I mean, based on IOT and sensors and the things we can do to analyze things today, like, could we possibly, could we conceivably analyze all the, all the different elements of a human being, including, you know, what they excrete, et cetera, and then take all that and analyze it and go, oh, here's the perfect meal for you. Like, can we, are we at the point now where if we had all the information about what somebody is doing for themselves and and what the ideal state would be would we be able to create like a nutritional package that they would that, that we could just create for them and say hey this is customized to you i have thought of that it is called the ingestibles 
I've looked uh-huh. into that, like how they, we can have, it's, it's kind of like micro robots that we can have in our body and they can uh, see like, okay, what exactly is going on inside our body and give us a sneak peek of um, like, what is it that we might need? Um, again, I would say, yes, that's one way of looking into that, but it has to be deeply understood more from um, a metabolomics point of view and a nutritional uh, genomics point of view, because uh, one endpoint is not going to answer your question because right. it, it is the the way our body performs. It is a process that is being defined in our in our system, and we really have to understand the whole system. And then it is not one meal. Like it is about okay, how you if you are eating that meal, and then how it is interacting with something else which is already present in your body. So how the microbiome is reacting to that? How is the already the composition that the of the body that you have, how it is going to interact with that. If taking a medication, for example, I can give you uh, an example for that. Um, you eat something and we really have to know about the pharmacokinetics because once you eat it, we really have to see, okay, what is it actually breaking up to? Does it break up to uh, this different molecules? Which molecules are those? And then how those are interacting, right? In the same way, if you are eating the nutritional, some nutritional piece, because once it's inside your body, it will be digested and digested to what? And, and how are the other constituents which are already present within your body is going to react with that? Mm-hmm. Yes, I think there will be some time when we will have that kind of an answer, but we are still very early in stage to to such, to start seeing, okay, where where is the end or where is the light uh, of that tunnel? Because we have still so many unknowns in that area that has to be um, well taken care of before we can start really um, giving like a personalized meal to people. Yeah. Well, isn't that the, sort of like the end game of both health and wellness? It's like if you wanted to, if you want to look good, then it should be eventually, it shouldn't be anything you put topically on. It's a, an ingestible that will, you know, help your body to create whatever it needs to, to have great skin or whatever. So, I mean, that's kind of, isn't that kind of like the end game of the whole, of the whole process? Yes. What you eat. So it's been, th- this concept has been been validated to some point also, I would say, not from ingestible um, point of view, I would say, but more from nutritional, like, for example, there are some nutritional things which are uh, supplements which are present out in the market that talks about the collagen, right? Collagen now is a part of our skin of our entire body. And uh, yes, we do need collagen. But uh, even there are so many intricacies, and we are not there yet in order to just have like one type of collagen that we can say, okay, this, this is good for you. Because then it comes from so many different sources, we don't know where is it coming from? What is the quality of that? So again, so this field is, is going to be defined. And this is the concept was again, like, if, if you if you have something in yourself, if you're feeding that to your body, yes, you will show up in your external system, which is your skin. So that's why the collagen was being eaten. Um, but yes, we are. Uh, I think there's still way to go, but the concept is uh, currently under development. I do see people believe in that and they do take care. Uh, they listen and then they take the collagen supplements. Yeah. Well, Does I mean, that, but there's also... There's the processing, right? It's like you can take collagen, but does it end up as collagen in your body? Sometimes yes, sometimes no. It depends on the processing. Of yeah, because I remember whenever we're eating, it's getting into our stomach, and in the stomach, the pH is very low. It's two, so you don't know. I mean, if it is even passing the stomach, we talk about the um, uh, the probiotics, right? Mm -hmm, And mm -hmm. 
prebiotics, probiotics, everything. But if these are the microorganisms that we are eating and getting into the stomach, you think that uh, they will be live by that time, which is the pH is so low. Uh, what is the right format? <laughs> well, I just think frozen yogurt is hilarious because if you think about it, I mean, aren't there supposed to be probiotics in the yogurt and don't you kill them by freezing it? So, I mean, frozen yogurt isn't a thing, right? It doesn't, the probiotics in frozen yogurt don't help, right? Yeah, I have been, <laughs> yes. I, I mean, even in, I, I've been talking about it, like, okay, why purpose does it serve when it comes to the probiotics in a yogurt? Because I make my own yogurt. Yeah. And uh, that's what I feel good about. And uh, uh, back home in India also, I would say there are a lot of, uh, we still have that. People eat a lot of yogurt back home. Mm-hmm. And probably they have a really good digestive system. Um, but yeah, so I always question that too. Like, yes, we are using the pasteurized one. And then we're still talking about the probiotics. Tell me how does it work? Yeah, because <laughs> you in the pasteurization process, you kill off all the probiotics. So it's all gone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I feel the same way. So they, it, that's why the, I am. Uh, that's why I said that it's very flexible, and it's very fascinating field also because there are so many things that we can be so creative about, and there's so many things that uh, we can think of very differently to make it more relevant to the communities out there. Fantastic. Well, this has been very. This has been great. Thank you so much. If somebody wants to get in touch with you, what's the best way? Um, the best way is, um, uh, I would say, through email. Mm-hmm and okay. uh, my yeah it's okay I'll, I'll put the contact information in the in the show notes um, great so and i'll send you my great. bio also so if you yes, need please. it i know you have asked for it so i'll send you my bio too perfect thank you so much this has been great it's been talk great you thank soon. you so much chris for organizing this and it's been great talking to you thank you so thank much thank you again. so much talk to you soon bye bye